Good morning once again and welcome. My name is Craig Thompson and I am the senior pastor here. It is our privilege to have you here with us. So grateful that you made your way out on this nasty day. But uh, it's dry here and we're just thankful to be together. If you have your Bible, we'll be in the book of Matthew in just a few minutes. That's the first book in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 28. Again, if you need to use the, 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 the table of contents, please don't feel bad. Just go do it. We're glad to have you here with us this morning. A couple of things I just want to make uh, reference to before we jump into the sermon this morning. There is a Next Steps class this afternoon. So if you have been visiting with us once or 27 times and you're curious about what it might look like to be a member here at Malvern Hill, I would like you to come and meet with me at 4 o'clock this afternoon. I'll meet you right here in the sanctuary so you know where to go and we'll go into a classroom right over there at 4 o'clock. Uh, but I would love to meet with you this afternoon and talk with you a little bit more about what uh, it would look like to become a member here. If you just have questions... Come and join us. There is no commitment. I'm not going to sign you up when you leave. We just want to give you an opportunity to know what we're about and ask any questions you might have. Uh, Vacation Bible School is actually around the corner, believe it or not, so sign-ups for that are going to start, so pay attention. Uh, In your bulletin, I need to point out the fact there's a a handout for equipping studies. Equipping studies are short-term Bible studies, short-term small group Bible studies that we do here at Malvern Hill a few times a year. So the next round of those starts, I believe it's the first Sunday in February. Uh, There's information in your bulletin about that. Those meet on Sunday nights. So uh, uh, I think it's six weeks. Let's call it eight weeks. It starts when? Of 19th of February. I have no idea what I'm talking about. This is why I don't do announcements (laughs) at all. Uh, So there's that. And then finally, let me just tell you this. We are $14,000 away. Some of you that were here have been here for the... What's crazy about how many of y'all keep coming in is this. I'm fixing to give an announcement that's only about six weeks old, and some of y'all are so new here that you don't even know what I'm talking about. Um, uh, but uh, uh, we, we've, we've got a goal to, uh, make, to, to give $100,000 to our building fund by February the 1st. And if we can reach that goal, uh, generous donors stepped up and agreed to double that and match that gift. We are about $14,000 away from that. So I just want to encourage you. What a great job. Like, absolutely wonderful job. But I want to encourage you, uh, we're $4,000 away. I just got, oh good, somebody wrote a check today. Thank you, I appreciate that. So uh, uh, $4,000 away from that goal. And, and, and in saying that, listen, next Sunday I'm going to preach on stewardship. I'm giving you a heads up. We're going to talk about money next Sunday. All right? I'm telling you that for this reason. Historically, every time I preach on giving, y'all give less. Like, it's bad. It's embarrassingly bad when I'm the pastor and I give a sermon on tithing and the tithing is in the basement. And then what happens is the people that count the money say, you can't preach that again for like another year because we can't afford for you to do it. Somebody step up to the plate and write a check next week so that I don't have to look bad in front of all my friends, okay? I'd really appreciate it if somebody would make a generous donation next week so I can get over this complex that I have about preaching on money. All right. Matthew chapter 28 We're going to begin reading in verse 16. This is a passage of Scripture known as the Great Commission. If you've been a part of a church for more than about four or five weeks, you've probably heard somebody talk about this. When we speak about what Jesus expects of us, He gave us a great commandment and a great commission. And when we think about what we hope to be as members of Malvern Hill, we've basically taken Jesus' great commandment and Jesus' great commission and sort of mashed them together. And so the great commandment was that we would love The Lord our God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength. He said the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then in the Great Commission, he says that we are to go and make disciples of all nations. So at Malvern Hill, when we say, what what do we hope that a member of Malvern Hill will be? 
Because we're a lot more interested in what we're creating or what we're becoming than who we're attracting. Does that make sense? We're a lot less concerned about where you're coming from than about where we hope to get you going and the kind of person we want you to be. And so at Malvern Hill, we want to be the kind of people who love God, love others, and seek to change the world. It's that simple. Those are the three goals that we have for members of Malvern Hill Baptist Church. This morning, we're going to be focused on that changing the world aspect. That aspect that Jesus gives us in the Great Commission where he says to go. So if you have your Bible, Genesis, Genesis, holy cow. If you have your Bible, Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 16. Please stand with me in honor of God's word. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word that never returns void. Thank you, Lord God, that you've loved us enough not only to save us, Lord God, you've loved us enough not only to instruct us, God, you've loved us enough to give us a word that clearly explains who you are, who we are, Lord God, and what is expected of us. Help us to honor you and to be disciple makers. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Please be seated. This morning, are you making disciples? Now, we're working through just a short three-week series this month called Grow With Us. And today we're going to talk about growing through evangelism. Are you making disciples? Matthew 28 is really all about making disciples. And and, and, and I want you to grasp a concept. This is the last experience that Jesus' disciples have with him before he ascends to heaven. So if we give just sort of the 30,000 foot view of Jesus' biography, this is what happened. Jesus is born. He lives 33 years of sinless perfection. He dies on a cruel wooden Roman cross. He is buried in a borrowed tomb, lays in that tomb from Friday until Sunday morning, where he explodes out of that tomb, rises from the dead, overcoming death, hell, sin, and the grave. And then the Bible says that he appeared to the disciples and to 500 others. He spent some time, but then what? At the day of Pentecost, 50 days after the Passover, Jesus does what? He ascends back to heaven. This is the moment of Jesus' ascension. This is the time of Jesus' ascension. This is the last moment that Jesus has with his disciples. Y'all, I I don't know about y'all, but if I knew that I had just one last moment with y'all, or perhaps with my family and my children, I would be doing all I could to get as much meaning packed into just those few words as possible. And so today, I want you to keep in mind that these are Jesus' last words to His disciples. And in these last words, they're important for us because we are Jesus' disciples by extension. And this is the last thing that Jesus said before He ascended into heaven. So we need to pay close attention to how it is that we might apply these words in our life. So the first thing we see in this passage of Scripture is that we are to go. Don't miss that, right? We are to go. But how do we go? We go in Christ's authority. We go in Christ's authority. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now what we might miss in this passage, but what Jesus' earlier followers 
would have seen in this moment is an explicit fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy in Daniel chapter 7. If you spent much time, by the way, if you were in life group this morning, one of your questions was, have you picked a Bible reading plan for the year yet? I hope you have. If you haven't, get one today and get started. Maybe you'll find yourself in Daniel at some point in time. See, without Bible reading plans, you probably never read the book of Daniel. There's a lot of things that you miss unless you've got a plan to get there. But if you spend any time in the book of Daniel, or if you spent time in the Gospels, those four first books of the New Testament, you'll see that Jesus refers to himself regularly as the Son of Man. And in the book of Daniel, Daniel refers to the coming Messiah as the Son of Man. In Daniel chapter 7, he explicitly deals with some of that. And in two, two verses in Daniel chapter 7, he says this, he says, Behold, with the clouds of the heaven there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Dominion, kingdom, authority. Jesus says all dominion, all authority is mine. He says, hey, while I walked among you before my death, burial, and resurrection, I was still the Son of God. But today, having gone through the fires, as it were, of death and of resurrection, all authority is now mine. Everything that needed to be done has been, has been completed. All authority belongs to me. I am the one that you thought I was. Look, Jesus says, let me erase, just in case there was any doubt for you, let me be very clear. I am am the one that you've been waiting for and all authority belongs to me folks we need to understand who jesus is if we're going to go and carry the good news of the gospel to other people the first thing we've got to understand is who he is who is he he is the promised messiah the son of man the one who has been ordained by god to free the captives and to exercise authority over all of creation as we consider this great commission this morning, don't forget that it was Jesus who gave it. Not me, right? This aren't, these aren't Craig's words. Let me just give you some, some information. If all I could stand up and offer you on Sunday mornings was my words, y'all are not getting your money's worth, right? Y'all can find much better than Craig Thompson, but you'll never find better than Jesus Christ. These are Jesus' words. Who is he? He's the Prince of Peace. He's the Ancient of Days. He's the Alpha and the Omega. The bright morning star. He's the creator, sustainer, savior. And he is seated at the right hand of the Father. He's closer than a brother and more true than a friend. He's the King. And he is the one who has given us this great command. Remember who he is. When we consider the authority of Jesus Christ, we don't need to remember simply who he is. We need to also remember whose we are. I like to say it this way. Remember who you are and whose you are. Whose are you? You are his. I was in Latvia uh, two weeks ago now, um, as, I, as I mentioned last Sunday. And the entire time, anytime I travel internationally, my passport stays on my person the entire, anytime I'm, I'm out and about. It, it doesn't get stuck in a bag and left anywhere. It stays with me. Uh, and for the record, it stays with me in part because I was on a trip once with a friend and he had his passport stuck in a bag that got stolen and we ended up an extra day there. I don't want to end up an extra day anywhere. So there's that, but there's also just the fact that if I get questioned by anybody, let me tell you what, I want them to know who I am. I want them to know that my name is Craig Thompson. You know what? That's going to get me absolutely nothing. They couldn't care less. They don't know who Craig Thompson is. But I want them to know who I belong to. I am a citizen of the United States of America. 
When I pull out that blue passport and they see that, they go, oh, wait a minute, hold on. This guy comes from somewhere else. And there's somebody else who is going to speak on his behalf. I've mentioned to you before, but I'm mentioning again because it just fits really well today. Everybody should have the experience of entering an American embassy on foreign soil. It's a wonderful experience. Because when you walk into an American embassy on foreign soil, there's a long line waiting to get into that embassy. But when you arrive, you don't go into that line. You have your own door. You have the door that is marked for American citizens. Everybody else is trying to get into the country. You already belong. You walk in, somebody greets you. They say, good morning, hello, sir, welcome to the United States of America. Because when you walk into that embassy, you are on American soil. It's a wonderful experience. Folks, we need to remember who Jesus is, but we need to remember whose we are. Jesus says to his disciple, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. I really wrestled with this passage this week. Because when Jesus says all authority, I was like, you know, we could really take this two ways. It could be all authorities might now get your rear end to work, right? I'm the boss. Well, there's certainly some aspect of that. There's an imperative statement. But there's also this idea, this realization, all authority is mine. I am in charge. I'm in control. And you are my disciples. When I tell you to do something, know that you're going not on your own strength, not in your own authority. You're going in the authority and the strength of the Ancient of Days, of the Son of Man, of the one that you've been waiting for. Go in Christ's authority. Number two this morning, make disciples as you go. Some of you may have heard this before, but some, some biblical scholars wrestle with whether or not we should interpret chapter eight, or verse 18 uh, as Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then verse 19, go therefore make disciples. Some have wrestled with whether or not that interpretation should be go and make disciples or perhaps it should be as you go or as you are going, make disciples. Two things we want to make sure we emphasize regardless of the translation. Number one, we don't want to miss the imperatival. That's a good word, right? I just made it up. I don't even know if it's true. The imperatival nature of this statement. It's a command. Don't miss that. Jesus said, go. Now, go in the original is not the imperative. Do you know that? Some of y'all go, the imperative is go make disciples. Make disciples is the command. This is why the as you go part is, 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 is up, up for, for debate. Because the real command is not go somewhere. The real command is make disciples. That's where the imperative comes. But we don't want to miss that. There's a command that's given from Jesus Christ. Folks, we don't want to water it down and go, well, for some people they should, maybe. No, no, no. Jesus said go, and so our responsibility should be make disciples, period. When he said go make disciples, then you have the responsibility, and I have the responsibility to go make disciples, period. So don't miss that. The second thing, though, the Great Commission is a lifestyle and not an event. He said go from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, to all the ends of the earth. There were going to be just a few of these disciples that became what we might consider career missionaries. The vast majority of those people that Jesus impacted were going to be making disciples in the, the normal course of their everyday lives. That as they scattered out from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth, they were going to be making disciples. As a matter of fact, what we know from the story of the early church is that the church really exploded, not primarily 
Because we sent out missionaries to the other parts of the world, that, that first explosion of the church came about as a result of the persecution that drove the disciples out of Jerusalem and they took the gospel with them to all the places where they went. Folks, we've got to make sure that missions is our life, not just a trip. I want you to go on mission trips. I do. I want you to go to the ends of the earth with the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are those who desperately need to hear it, who are not in close proximity to us. But y'all, heaven forbid we are willing to go to the ends of the earth with the gospel and we don't go to our neighbor with the gospel. By all means, go to the end of the earth, but do not neglect your neighbors, your friends, your relatives. Listen, the old adage still holds true. The vast majority of people who come to Jesus Christ in faith do so as a result of somebody who is in their circle of friends or family members who are willing to invite them to come to church or invite them to a relationship with Jesus. We're going to do a test real quick. Ready? I want you to raise... Not yet. Let me get the whole thing out. I want you to raise your hand if you're here this morning... Because either for the first time today or at some time in the past, there was a friend or a relative, somebody in your close circle, who invited you to church or invited you to a relationship with Jesus. Raise your hand. Now, see, I'm not, the reason I did it that way is because I wasn't going to ask how many of you showed up for a stranger because I don't want to embarrass the, just, the, the handful of you that might be here as a result of that, Right? Some of y'all are here because you dated somebody and they're like, yeah, I'm not looking at you unless you go find Jesus. Okay? Listen, that counts as your circle, all right? I'm just telling you. Like, whatever it takes. Now, does that mean you shouldn't go to strangers with the gospel? I hope you'll go to strangers. But what it does mean is that if you're neglecting the people who are closest to you, you're neglecting your most fruitful mission field. Go to the ends of the earth, but don't miss the people who are right beside you. So go and make disciples, or make disciples as you go, but make it a lifestyle and not just your trip. The second thing I want us to see in this as we think about going and making disciples is, watch this, believers are called to come, excuse me, I said that wrong, this is going to be wrong up here. This is supposed to say non-believers are called to come to Jesus. Christians are commanded to go to the world. We've gotten it so backwards that we've begun to believe that the only thing a Christian is supposed to do is come to church. you got to do more. I want you to be here. You need to be here. But you've got to be going beyond the walls of this place and carrying the good news of the gospel to people who desperately need to hear it. You have to go. You have to go. I'm glad you've shown up for worship this morning. And look, it was really tempting to not show up for worship this morning. It was really tempting for me to not show up for worship this morning. Y'all, it's nasty out there. I rolled over, my alarm went off, and I said, man, listen to it rain. And I laid there a minute, and I said, man, I wonder if it'll quit raining. And I laid there another minute, and it didn't quit raining. I said, man, I'm going to get up and go out in this wet, nasty mess. It's gross. You need to be here, but folks, we got to be willing to go. Make disciples as you go. Where are the places that you most comfortably share. Look at that. They got the edit up there. Good job, guys. Where are the places that you go to most comfortably share the gospel? Who are the people in your life that you are investing in for the purpose of sharing the gospel? How many non-Christians do you pray for on a regular basis so that they might experience the gospel of Jesus Christ? 
How many? Why not? Folks, do you know that if you will make a practice of showing up regularly in the same place with a gospel witness, over time you'll have an opportunity to make some significant kinds of impacts in those places. Do you know that? Do you know that I've, I've become like weird little like community pastor in certain places around here just because I keep showing up? There's nobody there that comes here. There's nobody there that knows Jesus. But I keep showing up in those places and they keep looking at me and say, will you pray for this? Can I talk to you about that? Do you think your wife would be willing to have a conversation with me? These are the weird things that happen. How? Just by keep showing up. But you can't just show up because nobody catches the gospel by osmosis. We got to show up and we have to share. We got to carry the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But let's do it as we are going. Let's make sure that it just sort of oozes out of us. That it's a part of our life. What do we, how do we make disciples? We go in Christ's authority. We make disciples as we go. And third, this morning, we have to go beyond conversion. I think one of the, 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 the worst perversions of the Great Commission is the idea that the Great Commission is fulfilled if we go and evangelize and then walk away. I want to read the entire... Now, now, if you have a red-letter edition of the New Testament, then I'm going to read the red letters to you. Jesus' words, not Craig's words. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go. Now, in, in the original, in the Greek, this go, therefore, is attached to the next words that I'm going to give you. So you might imagine it this way. I'm, it would be like, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Go and baptize them. Go. So it's like that. So it's like this. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Which part of that is the Great Commission? All of it. All of it. I mean, we don't even get a period in there. Right? We don't get a period until you, period. Oh, and behold, I'm with you always in the end of the age. We don't get a period until Jesus moves from his imperative to his word of encouragement. So what are the imperative statements? Go make disciples. So number one, make disciples. Number two, baptize them. Number three, teach them to observe. Those are the three, three things that we are supposed to do in fulfillment of the Great Commission. We are called to do them all. We don't stop at conversion. Telling someone about Jesus is not fulfilling the Great Commission. It is the first step in fulfilling the Great Commission in that person's life. Jesus said, make disciples. It's all... Y'all are not smiling. Is it me? Am I just like angry? I'm not trying to be. Y'all just maybe give me a little smile and make this easier. It's, it's only in our strange evangelical American culture that we have taken the word disciple and equated it with pray to prayer. Jesus, Jesus' words, not mine, go and make disciples of all nations. Just in case I was wrong, I looked it up today, uh, this morning, I said, what, what, what is a disciple? 
turns out a disciple is not someone who thought a good thought once upon a time when they were eight, never ever lived for Jesus again for the rest of their life. Jesus said, go and make disciples. A disciple is a, you ready? A pupil, a learner, a follower. Those are the three definitions that we get there. A disciple is someone who has attached themselves to a teacher, to a leader, to a trainer. In this case, to Jesus Christ. Our responsibility is more than throwing the message of Jesus out. We are called to walk with people, to teach them, to instruct them. Our gospel proclamation should be filled with love and care, not a sense of duty and accomplishment. I don't get to go, boop, check that one off. Share Jesus. Get out of my way. I'm moving on. No, 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 no. Share the Lord with, share the gospel with these people. Walk with them as they seek to grow in Christ. Teach them to obey all that Jesus has commanded because they are to be disciples. This is why we need to be... Let me rephrase this. This is why I would encourage you to be wary of a false hope in salvation. If the decision that you made for Jesus Christ did not change your life, You need to ask whether or not you are a disciple of Jesus. Jesus did not say go have a religious experience. Jesus did not say go get baptized and just nothing else. There's a progression. Go and make a disciple. Baptize. Teach. Folks, if you were baptized and you never did anything else, if that was 30 years ago and you've never ever walked with the Lord, you need to ask yourself the question of whether or not you belong to Jesus. Well, pastor, once saved, always saved, right? John actually deals with this in 1 John chapter 2. Yes, it's 100% true that those who have given their life to Christ are safe and secure for all of eternity. But here's what John says in 1 John chapter 2. He says, and if you recall, we preached through this several weeks ago. In 1 John chapter 2, there were people that had left the faith. They had walked away from the church. And John says they left us because they were not of us. They went out from us, but they were never a part of us. Folks, I don't want to discourage you today. I, I, want, to, I want to warn you. The easy believism that has permeated our church culture is not, is not in step with the Great Commission. According to Jesus, his disciples live according to his word. A disciple is a follower. This is not an English translation. This is the Greek. Because the Greek word is methetes. I said that wrong, but still. It means a learner, a pupil, a disciple. That's it. This is what it is. As a matter of fact, if you're reading from the King James, it doesn't even say make disciples. It says teach them because that's what's happening here. We are to make learners, disciples, pupils. A disciple of Jesus is not someone who's had this experience and prayed a prayer and went back to the same life they've always lived. A disciple of Jesus, according to God's word, is someone that is observing all that he's commanded. Now, let's take a deep breath. 
Well, Pastor Craig, I just got saved last week and I messed up yesterday. Does that mean I don't belong to Jesus? I didn't say that, did I? I, I want to make sure that we clearly explain where the responsibilities lie. He's speaking to his disciples, and to his disciples, he says, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe. What does this mean? This means as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, as Christians, we have a responsibility to actually do the hard work of digging in and seeing new believers grow in their faith, understand the things that God has taught them, or has taught us, so that they may be able to obey them. This is the expectation. We are to create discipleship opportunities for people. That does not mean that you should be grown up Christian three days after you got saved. Or one week after you got saved. Or two years after you got saved. But folks, let me tell you something. If you were saved ten years ago and you don't look more like Jesus today than you were then, you need to ask yourself the question of whether or not you were saved. And I, I think what concerns me the most is that when I say this, some, some people get so angry. And, and perhaps it's because I, I come across anger. I'm not mad at you. Now, I'm, 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 I'm mad at church leaders who have at times watered down the gospel and led some of you to believe that you belong to Jesus Christ when you don't. I'll be honest with you. I'm mad at those guys. I'm mad at a pastor who would distort the gospel in such a way to suggest to you that somehow or other, when you were eight, you said something and something happened in your life and you never lived for Jesus for the last 40 years, but you're safe. I'm concerned. I'm concerned that you may bust hell wide open and I don't want that for you. Because according to God's word, repeatedly, a disciple is somebody who looks a little bit more like Jesus every day. Does that mean that you should wake up every day terrified that you lost your salvation? Absolutely not. It means that when you look at your life, it should look kind of like a river. Rivers always get to the ocean at some point. They're moving in that direction, right? If you belong to Jesus, then the story of your life should always be moving toward Christ. There are going to be twists and turns along the way. There may be entire years when you, you've, you've backslidden, you've not lived as you should have, but the reality is when you step back and you take a, 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 a snapshot that your life should be moving toward Christ. And folks, if Jesus is there and you're moving in this way, then let me urge you, stop. Turn to Christ today. Don't wait. You're not promised tomorrow. And believers, Christians, we must stop giving people security, false security. I want to tell you something. It is never your responsibility to give somebody security in their salvation. The Holy Spirit of God does that. We walk with them, we point them to the Word. But let's not give false hope. If we're going to err, we would rather err on the side of sharing too much gospel than not enough. We've got to go beyond conversion. This is why discipleship is such an important part of what we do and who we are as a church body here at Malvern Hill. I, I came across a Charles Spurgeon quote recently. He said, where application begins, there the sermon begins. Do you know that if I preach a sermon to you and I preach 52 of these a year to you, 
on a Sunday morning. And if you don't leave from this place and actually make application of that message, I've not been faithful in the proclamation of this word unless I've told you how it is that you might apply the word of God in your life. It's imperative that we take this great commission and we apply all of it, not just the easy parts. Not just the convenient parts. I want you to grow with us. I'm so excited for what God's doing here at Malvern Hill. I mean, I am thrilled to death for what the Lord is doing in this place. I was looking around this morning. There's a lot of you here today who... I, I don't know. And I'm so excited because that means that the Lord continues to bring people in and that's wonderful news. But as we grow, we can't lose sight of those things that have got to be priorities for us. And folks, the fulfillment of the Great Commission, making disciples has got to be one of our top priorities as a body and as individual believers in Jesus Christ. We have to be committed to making disciples who make disciples. But before we get to a conclusion today, I actually want to circle all the way back around to two verses that I skipped. Because the Bible says in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. You ever just have a few words in the Bible that hit you like a sledgehammer? This one did for me this week. I I, I want to reread it. I want you to listen closely. The eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And then watch. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. They saw him and doubted. They heard him and doubted. They saw him, but this is what they did. They they refused to believe. Folks, do you understand that sometimes our refusal to believe, our, our doubt requires us to actually turn off our brains, to turn off our logic. See, in, in this particular case, there was a refusal to believe. I want you to be careful, or not careful, I want you to be aware that as you share the gospel with others, you will encounter those who refuse to believe. But I also want to warn you, believers, to not look at the plain text of God's Word and refuse to believe what it says. When the Bible gives us a great commission, we don't get to explain it away. We don't have the privilege of choosing to not believe that this applies to us. You don't get to just decide, oh, well, this applies this or there. You know, when missionaries go, then they have a responsibility. You know, those missionaries. No, no. The Bible says, go. And Jesus didn't direct this at one particular group or one individual. But everybody, go and make disciples. 
Go. Make disciples, pupils, students, followers of Jesus. Do you know that even as Christians, we can sometimes run to God's word and see it and just refuse to believe it? It didn't fit my preconceived notion, so I'm just not going to go with that. You know what? That's not the way I was raised, so I'm not going to. I'll never forget uh, somebody explaining to me one time that as they were battling in sanctification with their, 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 their mouth, right? Their, their language. And it was filthy, right? And they said, well, I can't help it. I'll never be able to change because it's just the way I was raised. I'm like, what, like, what kind of excuse is that? That's like a four-year-old excuse. You know, it's like your, your kid looking at you going, well, I can't help it. That's just who I am. Well, the problem is, if I believe what God's Word says, that in Christ you're a new creation. You actually have the opportunity to be somebody different. So, but we, we can still do that. Even mature followers of Jesus, even Craig Thompson, if I'm not careful, can read God's Word and go, I don't know if I like that one. Let me see if I can explain that away. I'm just going to refuse to believe exactly what it says. Here's the problem. Jesus' words, it's, it's right there. He has all the authority, which means, hey, I'm with you. You can trust me. And he says, now go. It's terrifying to share the gospel. Do you know that? It can be absolutely terrifying to share the good news of Jesus with some people. Why? You're, you're, afraid, you're afraid of all kinds of things. Sometimes we get afraid of things that are so, like, nuts. It doesn't even make sense. Now, some of you are afraid to share the gospel because you're afraid that the people that you're going to share it with know your past. Folks, do you know that your past is a testimony of God's grace? Don't you worry about that. Those are trophies of God's grace. I believe we're going to get to heaven someday, and there may be a trophy case. There may be just trophies lined up all along the wall. And there it is. Horrendous, horrific sin, forgiven by the grace of Jesus Christ. Horrible sinners saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. Some of you are afraid they're going to ask you hard questions you won't know the answer. Some of you are afraid they won't listen. Some of you are afraid they'll say ugly things. Jesus said, all authority is mine. It's okay. And then he sandwiches it. What? And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. He didn't say you had to have all the answers. He said to go. But anyway... As we're, as, as we're wrestling through this, we'll, would you be willing to do the hard things to make disciples, to share the gospel, to walk with people long enough to dig down in the ugly parts and the dirty things of their life, the hard parts of their life? Would you be willing to take Jesus at his word and assume just for a minute that maybe Jesus knows exactly what he's talking about? One of my greatest frustrations in life is when somebody hears my words and then tries to tell me what I really meant that I was saying. Y'all ever had that? So children are wonderful at this, okay? Just let me, let me explain what I mean. So you might say something very direct. I know that you parents are excellent parents, and y'all have done things like this before. You say something like, go, go clean up your room. Just, like, just very direct. Some of you are very specific. You might even say, go put your clothes away. And you, you, you show up in a bedroom, and it's like, wow, none of those things happen. And don't you love it when your kids say this? Well, I thought you meant. Whoa, 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 whoa. 
Oh, you thought I meant what? Well, I, I, I thought you meant for me to do that this afternoon when I got done with this thing. This is my favorite. My, this is what, parents, if you don't do this, I'm going to encourage this. I say, well, what did I say? It's great. Like, even at four, their little brains are excuse makers. This is why we're so good at explaining away the Word of God. Because we've been arguing with our parents since we were born, you know? It's like, well, I, I thought, no, 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 what did I say? Well, do, do you know what your kids never want to do is repeat back what you said? They don't want to do that. No, 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 no. No, well, I thought what you meant was, no, no, what did I say? Well, you said, and then I, I love this one, have I ever lied to you? Have I ever spoken to you in such a way that I was trying to confuse you? Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus said. What do you think he meant? I'm going to step out on a limb here and suggest that he probably meant go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what I'm going to assume, that, that he meant for us to teach them to observe all that he commanded. So this morning in conclusion... Conclusion. The question for most of you is this are you making disciples? And if not, why? Why? Three things that we could summarize Jesus' teachings in love God, love others, and change the world through the gospel of Jesus Christ. How, how can you call yourself a disciple of Jesus? If you're not living in obedience to the three most basic commands of Jesus. So if you're a believer here today, are you making disciples? The second thing this morning. Will you choose to believe today? I've prayed diligently this week for this one statement. I don't know who in here needs to hear this the most. But I believe there's somebody here or watching online who needs to hear this. Your lack of belief in Jesus Christ is not rooted in a sincere doubt about who Jesus is or about your need for salvation. But your lack of belief in Christ, your lack of commitment to Jesus is rooted in your refusal to submit to the king of the universe. See, the Bible says that Jesus came to them on the mountain and they worshipped him, but some who were there saw him and refused to believe. There are some of you, there's somebody here who knows the truth. You know that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. You know that Jesus Christ actually lived, actually died, actually rose again from the grave. You know all of those things to be true. But you also know that if you give your life to Jesus Christ, everything in your world is going to change. And the reality is, you've chosen to not believe in Jesus because you do not want the change that Jesus will bring. If that's you today, will you choose to believe? 
Will you choose to believe? Will you choose to believe that the way of Jesus is better? Will you choose to believe that the hope of the gospel is true? Will you choose to believe that Jesus will give you life everlasting? I don't know what brought you here today. But I'd certainly love for you to leave with a relationship with Jesus Christ. This morning, we're going to sing in just a minute. And when we do, I'll be honest, there's some believers here today who may want to come up here and pray for a lost friend or loved one. Some of you, as I've preached today, there's been a, there's been a, a name that's just been seared into your brain over and over and over again. And you've known that it's a, a husband or a sister, a mom, an aunt, a best friend. You've known that the whole purpose for you hearing this sermon today was so that you might share with them the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That you might see them saved. Some of you need to come and pray for that person. Some of you need to repent of the sin in your life of not sharing the gospel. That's right, it's a sin. If Jesus tells us to do something and we refuse to do it, we, we call that a sin. There's some of you here today, though, who don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Perhaps you've refused to believe. Maybe you've chosen to cling to a lie that you know isn't true. But your pride hasn't let you take that next step yet. May today be the day that your sins are forgiven and your future is made secure through salvation in Jesus Christ. Please come as we sing. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you and thank you. Praise you. Thank you for the hope we have in Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, we be obedient today. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with us as we sing.